It's Monday, November 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy Monday, gents. Happy Monday, sir. You as well. We've got some earnings to get to. Let's take a moment, though. And salute the undefeated Carolina Panthers. Let's recognize them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all right. Well, the Patriots too, but yes, the Panthers. No, no coincidence. More that Taylor Muckerman and David Hansen are just have <laughs> an extra, an extra, extra bounce in their step today. They're playing hard, man. As I'm they, you. as Very the Panthers impressive. now have the inside track to go to the Super Bowl. Are you going to go? Let me ask you, guys. David Hansen. This yeah, question. what's up? If the Carolina Panthers, eight no. 8-0. Halfway through the season, 8-0. Right now, the number one team in the conference. By two games. If we'll they go to the Super Bowl, which I believe is held in San Francisco this year, are you going to go? I do like San Francisco. <laughs> 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 I don't know what it's like there in February, but that's interesting. It's it, be... To me, like Super Bowl wouldn't be that big of a draw. I'll definitely be watching it. But, but I don't know if I'm going to go. But to you know it. that lends itself to the bigger question. I mean, not to get too off track here, but at some point we're already off track. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> kind of the nature of the show, I suppose, and our listeners love us for that. Um, <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I like I had this. I think it was 1995, I guess, and in, in my roommate's uh, parents, they're from Augusta, Georgia, and they gave us as a graduation present from college. Um, Tickets to the Masters. Now, this was the first time I'd ever been to the Masters. It was a wonderful experience. Back really before it, it had gotten so crowded, and I had a few opportunities, uh, you know, after that to go as well. I finally reached a point though where I was offered a ticket, and I said, "No, nah, you know, I'm good. It, it's too crowded. I'm not going to see. It, it's better on TV, honestly. I mean, you get yep. more. And I think the Super Bowl probably." Would be that way as well, unless you have like really killer yeah, it seats. It seems like I mean, a zoo to me. I mean, you get the beers are probably Super Bowl prices compared to even <laughs> regular NFL Sunday prices. I like, mean, you stay at home, you're not going to get arrested, <laughs> you're probably not going to get beat up. Get one would hope. Game. I mean, if your team loses, you just didn't drop a yeah, few hundred. You go to the game, you go to the game, and all of those things are on the table. That's right. I mean. You know what? We'll revisit this come playoff. <laughs> I sure hope so. Uh, I hope they, I hope we meet the Patriots for some uh, revenge of yeah, 20, 2003. It, that be, if that happens, we'll have a little wager right <laughs> here in the studio. Gosh darn right. Uh, let's get to the earnings, uh, and we'll start with Priceline. Third quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected, but the guidance for Q4 was not only lower than Wall Street was expecting or hoping for, it was certainly lower than the guy. I mean, the guidance coming into this quarter was was pretty gaudy, and Priceline delivered on gaudy. it. So I think it it is. Uh, I think it was a little. I'm gonna, I'm going to give Wall Street uh, a pass on this one. I think I think they were legitimately surprised that the guidance for Q4 was as low as it was. Were you? Uh to, I mean, I get to a degree, but I mean, it, it, I, a lot of this guidance was based on a stronger dollar, right? And so, I mean, it, a lot of this is currency related and, and, you know, booking travel to the United States and whatnot as forecast as being a little bit weaker than maybe was expected potentially at the beginning of the year. Now, I mean, it, obviously the market is always concerned about, you know, not what have you done for me, but what are you going to do for me? I, I still think, I mean, investors looking for the easy way to play the travel industry could look at Priceline.com today is probably the most legitimate option. I mean, I think whenever you see a business like this selling off due to something that's more or less related to currency, I mean, you can look at this as a potential opportunity. It's a very high quality business. Uh, scale alone, these guys are the biggest dog 
in in the online travel agency space. And typically, the biggest network um, is going to win. And, and just to put this in context, I mean, uh, Priceline uh, announced they have over eight hundred and twenty thousand properties now on their primary property, their Booking dot com, uh, up thirty eight percent over last year's quarter. And you compare compare that to Expedia. Which made some news itself here recently with this acquisition of HomeAway. Expedia just announced about 270,000 properties in its most recent earnings. So you can see there that there is a big difference just in the size of the two networks. And that's why Priceline has always gotten so much credit. And that's why I think Priceline has always earned, uh, you know, a, a just, a, I guess, an optimistic uh, valuation from the market. Um, so to see this, no, it's not terribly surprising to see the market kind of bailing on on the stock today. But again, I, it's not like there's a fundamental flaw with the business. I mean, this is just sort of the the vagaries of the, of the travel industry, right? Because it is truly global, uh, and it's always going to be exposed to those currency risks. But you know, as long term investors, we tend to look at these currency risks and think, so you know, okay, I mean, they they are real, they do exist, but rather than seeing them as as problems, we tend to look at them as opportunities. We talked. I think we talked about this. I don't know when. Probably a little while ago. Maybe last quarter, the quarter before. But if if the U.S. dollar is strong, chances are people from the U.S. are traveling to Europe maybe That's a little correct. bit more often. So yeah. it's like a give and take thing. But also, they're pretty. I mean, they've been moving even more internationally than they already were with their minority stake in Hotel Urbano. That's in Brazil. So that's like their first foray into Brazil. You've got the Olympics coming up in 2016. More people becoming exposed to what traveling in Brazil is actually going to be like. Uh, and then we talked two weeks ago, I think, about the deal with C Trip and Shunar, mm-hmm. and um, Priceline has a big stake in C Trip. And it reminded me of a study I saw a few weeks back from Visa, and um, it, it was talking to global travelers and East Asia in particular, and even more in particular China. And it says that Chinese, when they're planning a trip, budget comes a distant second to having the best experience 56% of the time versus an, uh, an average for the rest of the world, 46%. And they only consider a strict budget 18% of the time versus a global average of 29% of the time. So getting adva- getting more exposure to China, I think, who clearly is more willing to spend more money on trips to get the best experience, I think you know, Priceline is, is going to be better than just a fourth quarter uh, over the long term, and even with the stock falling about nine percent this morning, yeah, uh, this morning it's still up twelve percent over the past year. Mm-hmm. It's still handily ahead of the market. So if you're if you're thinking long term, this this kind of seems a little bit like a buying opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's one that we've noodled a decent bit for MDP, and, and one that will continue to kind of kick around. I and mean, we own TripAdvisor already in MDP, and we've we've talked a lot about that one recently as well, uh, given the um, you know the news that's come out with TripAdvisor, given the, the you know the instant booking platform, the hotels that it's bringing on its platform. Now, the the agreement that they they've come to with Priceline. I mean, this was a big deal actually. I think you know to Taylor's point there about about experience, about travelers going out and really, you know, because because travel isn't something you do all of the time or every day. You, you tend to. You want to make it really worthwhile. You don't want to have any regrets coming right, back. I spent yeah. all that money and didn't see anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so you, I, I think people are very focused on the experience and making sure they know where they're going and what there is to see. And so, you know, we saw that agreement with Traveler, with the TripAdvisor and, and Priceline, which I think I think lends itself to sort of to that to that mentality right there. And, and honestly, I think that Priceline sees a tremendous opportunity. You know, in that platform and that content, and you know, we're going to see more consolidation in the space as, as time goes on. But but when you're looking 
toward when you're looking to the leaders and you're looking to the just the really the best quality companies, I mean, Priceline is the one that stands out. No, it doesn't represent the growth opportunities that it once represented, and that's okay. Um, it, it still doesn't mean the story is done because this is, you know, as as it's typically referred to, a multi-trillion-dollar market opportunity when when all is said and done. Uh, and and Priceline is is not a multi-trillion-dollar company yet, Chris. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, if Priceline shareholders want to feel better about themselves, they can hang out with Hertz shareholders uh, because. Hertz missed on earnings for the third quarter. Uh, I think we had talked about uh, a while back about that, how they had to restate their earnings. That appears to be completed, mm-hmm. and the restatement, to the surprise of probably no one, was overall lower profit in the in the first half of the year. But mm-hmm. you know, this the, I, I don't know. I think if you're looking at Hertz right now, is you, maybe the dominant question is, are we out of the woods yet? Well. <laughs> So far, I mean, they they booked five percent um, revenue down year over year, whereas Priceline said that their car rental days booked were thirteen percent higher year over year. So Hertz is kind of moving in the opposite direction of one of the biggest car booking sites in the world. And for me, Hertz is definitely a long term picture, although it's from the un- point of uncertainty in my mind. All this talk about autonomous, fully autonomous fleet over the next twenty to thirty years. Throws a huge monkey wrench into Hertz's plans. I think um, maybe they can capitalize on it, but uh, just some PwC said that a 99% reduction in overall fleet volume if we have a fully autonomous fleet. So cars are going to be significantly reduced on the road. And I think Avis purchasing Zipcar like a couple of years ago, I think it was 2013, for only 500 million dollars. That really positions them to take advantage of this autonomous driving because I know Hertz has a competitor, but I rarely ever see a Hertz car sharing uh, parking spot. I see Zipcar everywhere, and they talk about if you live in a city with ride or car sharing now, and you drive less than ten thousand miles a year, it's it doesn't make economical sense to even own a car. So I could see Hertz if they could build out that car sharing uh, marketplace a little bit more. I don't necessarily think a hub at an airport is really going to be the future of, of car borrowing, I guess you could call it, um, because that's really all it's going to come down to is autonomous cars floating all around the country, and I don't think they're going to need that central hub at an airport to really capitalize on it. So, for me, Hertz is just very uncertain over the next 10 years, probably. I feel a little bit like this Industry, the way I feel about the drugstore industry, I don't really have any specific brand loyalty, and I'm yes. looking for, in the case of a drugstore, whatever happens to be closest and open whenever I need whatever it is that I need. And in the case of uh, car rentals, I, I'm completely agnostic. Who's going to give me a good deal? Who's going to give me the vehicle I want? Mm. I mean, I mean, for me, it is when I'm traveling. Yeah, um, I need to rent a car in a couple of weeks when I'm heading up to Boston for Thanksgiving. So, I'm just going to go on to some aggregator site and just look across <laughs> at Hertz, Avis, National, all of them. Yeah, it's not hard see. to find a price. Yeah, and it's just for all you these know what's a decent price location. for the car that I want. Yeah, I think a couple of a couple of characteristics make this a really um, I, I would say an unattractive sort of industry. To consider as far as investing goes, I mean, number one, what you're mentioning there, I, there isn't really any brand loyalty. I don't think. I mean, it's it is 
to an extent, I think, like airlines. I'm not really terribly concerned about what airline I'm going on. Now, I mean, I'd kind of rather fly on one of the more reputable airlines. I mean, if you're a like, business traveler, you know, then you might have your, are us, your brands. But, but yeah, for the I broad mean, majority, yeah. Sure, yeah. If you're a frequent business traveler, you, po- you possibly do have loyalty because you're getting some kind of rewards. But even then, I think that sort of leads to my, my other problem with these types of investments. They're very beholden. To, to partnerships that they mm-hmm. have to forge, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's an online travel agency platform that they need to be on, or whether it's you know a, a any kind of a business traveler credit card sort of relationship, yep. um, or or even in insurance companies. Like I could tell you with my experience with travelers insurance, for example. I mean, Enterprise Rental Car got a boatload of business from us because. I mean, I I just floored at the number of how many car accidents there were in just the states of Georgia and Alabama on a daily basis. But virtually every one of those accidents required a rental car, for at least one of the parties involved. And so, I mean, insurance companies would partner up or will partner up with these with these car rental companies, and that's great for the rental company. But it also shows you who really kind of controls sort of the leverage of that relationship, and it's typically not the car rental company. If Uber goes completely autonomous in the next decade or so. I mean, I don't already Uber. I think will be eating into these rental car um, companies because you can call them so easily if you're if you're traveling to a major city. Yeah, they they say that the, I think it's like a tenth of the number of Ubers could totally eradicate all the cabs in the United States if they were all fully autonomous. So it's it's quite shocking the disruption that could take place over the next decade. Yeah, just a tremendous amount of capital up front to maintain that mm-hmm. base, too. I mean, it just costs a lot of money to maintain a big fleet of cars. A lot of money and a lot of labor. A pretty good quarter, third quarter for White Wave, the packaged food company, uh, shares up around 4 or 5% today. You looked at this one. Sure. You like this one. Yeah, investors out there are like, white what? <laughs> I had no um, idea. White wave. Understand. <laughs> Not exactly a household name. Uh, I understand. I mean, you know, but you would know this company by names like Silk and International Delight and Horizon, Horizon. Organic. A big focus on plant based foods. This is a business, though, that spun off from Dean Foods back in July of 2013. And they've actually doubled sales since 2010, so it's performed very well. I think the reason why investors would want to look at businesses like these um, is because these are the types of businesses that aren't lim- limited to just one channel of distribution, and so on. You know, we're talking about groceries and food and things like that. You know, you look at Whole Foods, for example, and think Whole Foods is a great business. We like it. You look at Kroger, Publix, whatever. Those stores are all great, but but you're investing in that one real entity right there. Whereas if you're looking at White Wave or Haynes Celestial or any of these kinds of businesses. They're getting their products out to all of those distribution channels, and so that's really the advantages there. They're white, white wave. They have a number of different ways they distribute that food out there. I mean, Walmart, Costco, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Publix, Kroger—all of these stores carry that white wave uh, stuff, and so that that to me makes it uh, a bit more attractive. Um, you know, when when you're looking at the space, they acquired a company called Earthbound Farm in 2013, which that they're responsible for organic salads and packaged fruits and vegetables. You see a lot of that stuff in Trader Joe's, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one. You know, I I had been looking at it for a while. I, I tapped tapped it in caps actually right after the spinoff because I felt like those are opportunities typically when the market's not quite sure how to assign value there. The shares have doubled since since the end of 2013, so it's performed very well. It's not a stock that is cheap by any traditional metric today, but again, it's a high-quality company um, that, that continues to perform very well. And, and again, because they're not beholden to just one 
channel of distribution, they have a lot of options, which is nice. I didn't realize they also own Land O'Lakes. Yeah. Butter. Yep. Which I'm, you know, once the weather turns cold, that's when I just start doing a lot of baking. <laughs> yeah. Because well, and I mean, because it results in food I like to eat, and it also warms <laughs> up the house. So I mean, that's to me, that's another good yeah. point. They're butter continue. consumption going up in my house over the next six months. <laughs> They're going to bring a lot of those little bolt-on acquisitions to grow that portfolio of brands out as time goes on. So again, this I think this is a business. Like Hain and, and White Wave, this is where you'll see some more consolidation. I think these little sort of mom and pop brand operations are, are attracted to being part of something bigger, and uh, and so yeah, I mean, I, I suspect they'll continue to do very well. I, I typically would rather you know find a business like this in the middle of a crisis, say perhaps an E. coli crisis, Chris. <laughs> you know, I mean. There, there are E. coli crises in the world today. Certainly, not mentioning any names. Certainly in the Pacific Northwest for a particular burrito company. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. First, uh, thank you to uh, the listeners who have encouraged me, or in a couple of cases have just flat out offered to buy me a ticket to tonight's performance of Guar at the nine. They're at the nine thirty club. Dan, is that where they're performing? Yes, and you're going to be there, right? So, Dan Boyd, our man behind the glass, will be at the 930 Club tonight checking out Guar. I will not. My wife is actually out of town. So, I uh, don't think I should just leave my kids home alone to go. Maybe they want to go. Is it uh, oh, is it 18 I, and up on I don't the know. show? Is it, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Dan's getting Dan the thumbs yes. up. Yeah, because what's better for a 10 year old? <laughs> Son, hop in the car. We're going to go check out Guar. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for the encouragement and the, the offer of tickets. Um, a final note uh, in two weeks, we're going to have. An episode of Market Foolery dedicated to the topic of millennials and investing. I had mentioned a week or two ago about meeting, having the chance to meet uh, Nikita Shamdasani, who's one of our listeners, uh, recently graduated from college. She was in the office um, meeting with David Gardner. She's a UNC grad, Moorhead scholar, and I got the chance to chat with her. And I mentioned to her, "Hey, we're we're thinking about doing an episode just focused on millennials and investing." Do you have any suggestions for what we should talk about? And she said, "Well, why don't you just ask your listeners to submit questions?" And Very I said, millennial answer. And I said, I, "I hadn't thought of that." So, <laughs> so I'm doing that now. So, uh, if uh, drop us an email, marketfoolery at fool com. If you're a millennial, if you're older and you've got a millennial member of your family that you're looking to get interested in investing, we're we're looking for any questions. Related to this topic, so marketfoolery at fool.com. We're we're aiming to do one, maybe two episodes, right before Thanksgiving, so that when people travel, and you know, if you're seeing family over Thanksgiving here in the U.S., then maybe you get the chance to to talk a little yeah. bit about this. Between Good dinner table conversation. Little dinner table conversation, yeah. exactly. So marketfoolery at fool.com. Drop us an email. Taylor Walker and Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.